The Sexually Liberated Woman podcast gets love from Chakrabs. Chakrabs makes beautiful handcrafted sexual wellness products from 100% pure crystal. Crystals are a natural, earth-made material that help to awaken higher levels of consciousness, work through emotional imbalances, and heal deep core wounding. Take all of that, put it in sex toy form, and you've got yourself a mighty orgasmic tool. I have my own chakra that's made of 100% rose quartz, which is this really beautiful, soft pink-colored crystal that helps me cultivate self-love, opens my heart chakra, and heightens my capacity to feel pleasure. And my orgasms are incredible. So if you want to bring sacredness and a little witchiness to your erotic life, head to chakrubs.com and use the code LIBERATION to get 10% off your purchase. That's C-H-A-K-R-U-B-S dot com, promo code LIBERATION. And may your orgasms be plentiful. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sexually Liberated Woman podcast. I'm Evian Whitney, and I'm really happy to be back in my studio chatting with you today. So I just got done facilitating my sexy self-portraiture workshop, and oh my gosh, it turned out so good. The class sold out in just 24 hours, and we ended up creating an amazing sex-positive community together. I'm definitely going to be doing this again in the near future, so if you want to join us in the next edition of the workshop, head on over to sexloveliberation.com slash sextingmyself, all one word, and get on the VIP list. I'll be sending updates on when the next class will be starting very soon. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about sexual trauma. And you might have already started to brace yourself just at the sound of those two words, but I promise you this conversation will be as healing and gentle as it is necessary. I think it's said that one in four women will experience some kind of sexual violation in their lifetime, and I've seen this statistic play out viscerally in my own life. Not only are most of my friends and even my clients survivors of sexual violation, I am as well. I personally can't talk about my own sexual liberation journey without mentioning my sexual trauma. The violation I experienced made such an impact on the way I see and experience sex that it's impossible for me to separate the two. So much of the shame and blockages I dealt with in the beginning of my journey stemmed from my sexual trauma. And it wasn't until I began to address it that I finally started to heal and find peace in my sexuality in a holistic way. We hear a lot of talk about rape and trauma and how it affects us on an emotional level, but not a lot of us understand how trauma works in and affects our bodies on a physiological level. And that's why I'm so grateful for people like my friend Rachel, who I'm talking to today, who do this kind of work of demystifying sexual trauma, bringing it out of the darkness and into the light. They say that knowledge is power, and it's so true. When we understand ourselves, we are better able to heal ourselves. So about my friend Rachel, 
Rachel is a trauma resolution practitioner who helps women recover their power and pleasure after sexual trauma. We've been friends for many years, and I invited her on today to share with us her knowledge and wisdom about the way trauma shows up and works in our physical bodies. Not only do we talk about the difference between sexual trauma and sexual violation, she also gives us some invaluable tools you can use in real time, the moment of being triggered. Not just in the act of sex, but in any situation where you feel like your trauma is being activated. I learned so much from this conversation, and honestly, I feel like this should be required listening for everyone on the planet. And actually, if you're partnered up, this might be a perfect episode to share with your beloved to give them an idea of how trauma works for you in your own body. I'll be sharing it with my partner as well, who has had a hard time in the past grasping what is happening to me when I get triggered. Okay, let's get into it, but just one more thing. In this episode, we're going to be touching on topics of rape and sexual violation. We won't be going in graphic detail about it, but if you feel like hearing about a survivor's story might be too triggering for you right now, definitely take care of yourself and save this episode for another time. I am strangely excited to talk to you about trauma today, which sounds really weird because trauma is this really heavy thing. I mean, even just hearing the word trauma can trigger people, but I trust you. I deeply respect the work that you're doing, and I know that the conversation that we're going to have today about trauma is going to be centered and rooted and grounded. I'm actually excited to talk about trauma too, and while it is... um intense territory, often the experience that people have when they hear the way that I can explain things is one of relief, um, liberation, and groundedness. Like, wow, oh, okay. And, and that's actually why I, and we were talking about this before we hit record, like that's actually why I am so excited to talk to you about trauma because I'm very familiar with trauma. It's something that is personal to me, but is also professional for me. I mean, I, I work with so many women who have sexual trauma. And um, in my experience of learning about it and my experience of facilitating and holding space for women, I mean, a lot of the things that come up around trauma are so heavy and they're so hard to understand especially when like the feeling of trauma itself is a scary feeling and the word itself is really scary and so I'm I'm excited to talk to you about trauma because you are someone that I mean whenever I hear you talk about it it just makes sense like there's there's something that clicks not just on an intellectual level but like I can feel it in my own body like oh okay I understand like and having that sense of awareness about it um, I feel like that helps kind of lift some of the heaviness around it. I mean, not all of it, right? Like there's still a lot of, I mean, there's layers to this, but just, but having a better understanding of what's going on is incredibly liberating and it makes, yeah, it makes things feel not so scary. One question that I have been thinking about over the last couple of days as I've been, you know, preparing to have this conversation with you is what is trauma? Well, there is a nice difference between um, sexual trauma and other kinds of trauma in the terms of the way I define it. So I define sexual trauma 
as an interpersonal violation hangover, uh, an embodied interpersonal violation hangover. So it's something that you can still feel in your body and it's the hangover of the violation that you can still feel. So when you get a, go out to a bar and you drink or whatever and you wake up the next morning and you feel like crap, that's your body saying to you like, well, you probably shouldn't have drank last night. Similarly, when something happens that your body perceives as dangerous, your body will go into its emergency response mode. This is a subconscious thing that all bodies do where you might go into fight, flight, or freeze, or even something called hypersocialization, which we can talk about a little bit later. But so your body goes into this emergency response. Well, when the emergency is over, oftentimes our bodies never let go of the emergency response. We don't finish them. So what ends up happening then is the emergency response stays in your body as a hangover. The only problem is the difference from going out to a bar and drinking and having a hangover for one day is when you have something traumatic happen, that violation can last weeks, months, years, decades, lifetimes. So there's two, let's just distinguish first of all, that the trauma is the thing that happens later. So Ah. violation is what happens in the moment. And violations can happen that don't create trauma. So somebody could be raped and not have trauma from it. Because maybe they had enough um, support that they were actually able to finish their emergency response system. So there's an interesting example that actually Peter Levine talks about in, a, in one of his books of these kids that got trapped, like they got kidnapped and put in some basement thing. And there was all these third graders together. There was 12 of them or 20 of them or however many of them. And it, would, it had been three days without food or water and they realized they were going to die. And most of the kids had kind of given up. But two of the kids, one of the kids in particular said, we're going to dig our way out. And another kid helped him. And they dug their way out. And they got out from this life or death situation. And they survived, all of the kids. What happened later was they studied these children for, for trauma to see if they had residual leftover emergency response in their systems. And the two kids who had taken the initiative to get out didn't have any trauma. In fact, they went on to be highly successful in their lives. The rest of the kids who hadn't been as participatory in that ended up having some kind of residual, what looked like trauma. So depression, um, fear, anxiety, different kinds of things that could be called, that could be classified under the category of like, oh yeah, those are from trauma. And so how this might relate to sexual trauma is so with sexual trauma, first of all, a lot of women will end up blaming themselves and they'll say, well, I didn't push this guy off or this girl off or whoever off. I didn't, I didn't successfully use my fight instinct all of the way. And by the way, that's very rare for someone to even do. It's much more normal to dissociate because your body automatically will size up whether or not you're going to be successful. And this is a subconscious sizing up. And if the person who you're having this violating experience with is bigger than you, the likelihood that your body will say, yeah, I could beat this person is very, very small. So most women dissociate, go straight into freeze. But some people, after having experienced a sexual violation, will have some kind of support network, someone that they can turn to, that they can then 
with that person, shake out all of the residual energy. And the shaking that out is like in quotes, because that could be any number of things. You might be able to wail in your mother's arms and then press charges on the person. You might be able to um, do all of those things and also take a self-defense class. You know, like you might be sent to somebody, to a trauma resolution practitioner immediately and immediately you're, you get to reassert your boundaries, finish that unresolved fight that didn't get to happen. So if that happens, the likelihood that you're going to be walking through the world later and getting triggered is very low because you've been able to show yourself, well, bad things can happen, but I have enough resilience to let them leave my body. Most of the time that doesn't happen. And that can be from anything from like a a quote unquote minor sexual assault to even emotional things like feeling like you're in a volatile household where parents are fighting a lot and there's nowhere for you to go. If you are unsuccessful with your attempts to either run from the perceived danger, fight the perceived danger, or dissociate and then somehow actually feel better, if those things don't actually deem you successful, like get you the results you want, you might stay in one of those states for a very long time. Mm. So it shows up differently for different people. And different people feel violated from different things. Like we have, everybody has different boundaries of what feels acceptable for them and what doesn't. And that's why, you know, someone could go through a whole bunch of stuff and feel kind of okay. And someone else might go through the same things and just not at all. Yeah, you know, you just kind of blew my mind a little bit with this whole idea of uh, trauma being the the response, not the act. Because I have been using that word with my clients, with uh, my friends, uh, you know, using that word to talk about what happened to me or what happened to them. And right, having like it be... Yes, yes. And and having it be flipped to say like, no, what happened to you was a violation. The trauma is your body's response to that violation. Um, that's just like, wow, that like totally blew my mind. And it makes so much sense. So now that makes me want to ask, how does trauma show up in your body? So just on like the most uh, physical level, something that reminds you of what happened with your initial violation can trigger emergency, can trigger a sense of danger in your body. So your body has this thing called a neuroception, neuroception, which is your perception of threat. And so somebody who has histories of violation or trauma in their physiology might see something walking through the world or might have an experience that reminds them of their original violation and they would get quote unquote triggered. We all hear that phrase all the time. Well, what that actually means is your neuroception is being set off. Your perception of threat is getting set off. And what that usually looks and feels like is some kind of constriction inward and upward. And you move from like a stable down and out slow-ish pace to an in, up, and fast. So if, if there was a video, you would see I'm putting my hands kind of together in my body and kind of clenching all of my energy inward. And that's what happens when we perceive threat. Our emergency alarm goes off 
And we speed up, we get anxious, we might talk more, we go up into our heads more. And then sometimes if we've gone too far, if like there's too much threat and our system can't manage it, we might lose all sense of words or thoughts at all, feel really confused, not really know what's going on, be disoriented, and just know like, oh my God, I don't know what's happening, but I'm just freaking out right now. Whereas a healthy physiology or a physiology that is not perceiving threat has a feeling of being grounded, being wide, slow enough, stable enough, a sense that something might kind of be dangerous and you might feel a little bit of rise in energy, but you wouldn't get taken out with the wave of it. That makes a lot of sense. And I can feel that in my own body. Like I can go back to the times where I have felt triggered and immediately I start to sort of, I mean, I go right up into my head. I feel really tense in my shoulders. Right. You can lose your breath. You can lose your words. You can feel like, I don't know what to say, which is also why a lot of women, if they're experiencing sexual violence, don't know what to say. Like they don't have any words. They can't even say stop because they're so, their, their whole body has just been hijacked by an emergency re response that's shutting them down so they don't feel the physical pain. You know, I'm curious, I mean, you're like dropping so much knowledge right now and like blowing my <laughs> mind. I wanna kind of take it back a little bit and know like how it was that you came to all of this knowledge, not necessarily in the sense of your trainings, but like I wanna hear more about your personal story and, and how it was that you started to really think about trauma. Um, maybe as it relates to yourself. Yeah. So I wrote a book and it's called Secret Bad Girl and my whole story is in there. But basically, um, so I lost my virginity to anal statutory rape. I was 13 years old. And when that happened, you know, like a lot of people, I mean, I didn't have a close enough relationship with my mom to tell her. We didn't talk about sex ever. My parents had a very violent relationship. So for me to kind of walk into that situation was sort of inevitable. Like I was walking from one danger to another danger, normal. And I didn't think of it as, as rape even for probably like four or five years. And then I ended up realizing, okay, this was really messed up. This guy was 10 years older than me. I had said, I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to do it. Da, da, da. It still happened. And then I just moved on. And I would tell this story to people like it was not a big deal because I was just sort of like, okay, whatever. Shit happens. Yeah, this was bad. Whatever. And that was sort of my attitude about things. Then I met a man my very first week of college who ended up being my husband. I was with him for eight years. And he and I had a very platonic kind of sex life. The first time we had sex, I remember I cried all night afterward because I realized that he loved me and I had never had any sexual connection with anyone who had remotely loved me. And I remember feeling really confused and really disoriented and like sex and love don't go together. What? I'm really confused. And then our relationship went on and I was like, okay, you know, we just sort of had a mild sex life and I felt pretty good and neutral about it. And then we were riding our bicycles across the country. We were kind of adventurous. And right at the beginning of that experience, this was six or seven years into our relationship, we were on this 
towpath that was really bumpy with like tree roots. And so my vagina was hitting into the seat of my bike incessantly for 12 days in a row, eight hours a day. And I was having all of these flashbacks to the initial rape that I experienced, plus other really uh, violating sexual experiences that I had had. And that's when I knew like, oh, I have serious unfinished business. So things kind of revealed themselves in waves. First, it was like, oh, I was raped. Then it was like eight years later, oh, I have unfinished business. But again, I was like, okay, well, whatever. Like, what do you do about that? There's nothing to do about that. Just keep going. And Brian and I got home from our eight months on the bikes, and I was completely depressed. I had overridden my body on every level. Like, I was exhausted the whole time. It wasn't really what my body had wanted. And I basically went eight months doing something that was violating to myself. So I got home and I had my own version of PTSD. It was like my own post-traumatic stress because I had been continuously hitting into an old violation every day for eight months. Wow. And, you know, just overrid it. And when I say overrid it, it's like you might feel it, but you don't stop and listen to it. You just keep going. Okay, long story short, Brian and I end up breaking up like eight months later. And at this point, I'm single for the first time as an adult, and I was 25. So, of course, I go out, and I start dating, and I meet different people, and I have sex with different people, and da 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 And I end up getting raped twice. Once um, by someone someone had set, set me up with, like date rape, and another time with a guy I met at the bar. And both of these rapes were, like, very violent, horrible, horrible, horrible experiences. And that's when I knew, like, oh, not only do I have something old left over that I haven't dealt with, but something might be wrong with me. Like, I might be broken. Like, holy crap, I'm probably fucked up, like severely ruined. You know, it's one thing to get raped when you're 13, but I'm 25. Like, how did I let this happen to myself? So feeling totally ashamed, feeling totally broken, totally like in the shitter. Then I moved to Portland, Oregon, where we met (laughs) (laughs) and had a number of also kind of not so great situations that I was consenting to. And eventually I decided I needed to be celibate because I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like I can't have sex with people. I'm messing everything up. And at this point, my vagina started hurting all the time. I had like a phantom pain that wouldn't go away. And I was going to community acupuncture all the time At one point, something passed through me, like during my period that the acupuncturist said I had all of the um, signs of a miscarriage, even though I had been celibate for a very long time at that point. So I was passing a lot through my body. But again, I still didn't really have any context for what trauma was or how it worked. I just knew like something's wrong with me. I'm broken. I don't know how to fix it. Obviously, none of that was true, but that was just what I was thinking. So I end up finding melanoma on my vagina, which is a very rare thing, very uncommon. It's skin cancer. So for that to come and show up on your vagina is weird and also not weird, you know, made total sense. I knew like, okay, this is clearly related to everything that I'm trying to process and deal with. So I came home to my parents' house and I had surgery And it was at that time after the surgery that I realized, like, I went so dark. I was spiraling. I couldn't, I was like in the darkest place of my life. Um, Just really, I I couldn't function. 
And then I was like, I need, I really need help. So I reached out and was like, who, what kind of help do you get for sexual trauma? And people started telling me somatic experiencing. So I looked and I found this woman through this, this random website and her name was Bridget and she was nearby and I emailed her and she took me in and we had a session. And on the first session, she explained to me the way the nervous system works and the way our bodies can go into hypersocialization, fight, flight, or freeze. And the way that our energy gets stored if we didn't get to finish an emergency response. And the way that that stored energy is trying to heal itself so it will continuously attract the same issue over and over again in hopes that it will have a successful experience of survival. Mm. And then we did all kinds of really amazing touch work and we did all kinds of amazing like boundary repair work in a room where like I got to push her and I got to embody certain animals that got to finish certain unresolved things. And I was like having these like mind blowing mir- miracles. I was experiencing miracles. Like I was releasing things that I didn't even know had been stuck in my body in a way that was so safe and so gentle yet so powerful. And I was like, holy crap, this is a whole nother world. Like I didn't know what trauma was. I didn't know how trauma resolved. And then I had this big moment where I was like, and neither does anyone in the coaching industry. (laughs) Mm. So many people have trauma and so many people are trying to heal and resolve their trauma psychologically when it's a physiological issue. And I, as a healer, was like, I can't, I can't do that anymore. Like, I have to learn all of the physiological stuff. And I actually want to make it my mission to teach as many people as possible the physiology um, so that people can have these profound healings much more efficiently and quickly and get on with it, <laughs> for lack of better words. Like, you know, because we can tell ourselves all day, well, I'm not broken. I'm not fucked up. It wasn't my fault. But it doesn't matter until you get to actually release the old energy from your body. You're still going to think that. That's amazing. That's amazing. And thank you so much for sharing your story about where you came from and how you came to do this work. Yeah. Thanks for asking. So uh, there, I'm sure there are people who are listening right now who identified with parts of your story. And you mentioned something about having unfinished business, this idea of needing to go back and go through this trauma cycle for people who may not have incredible healers, um, who, for people who don't have access to that kind of work, like how would you tell people to begin to take care of that unfinished business on their own terms? What I didn't exactly tease out was during those years before I went and, f- and met Bridget and started working with her, I was like, I can do this myself. I'm a healer. I can heal myself. And I do want to just say the reason why it is particularly helpful to work with somebody, if you've experienced interpersonal violation, as in violation between you and someone else, having another person present who can on purpose trigger you and who can then on purpose allow you the space to essentially finish your unfinished business with another person, with another breathing body present is part of what makes it so potent and so efficient. That said, there is tons that we can do on our own, 
But as someone who has kind of for a long time or was for a long time, one, had no resources. I was going to community acupuncture for 20 bucks twice a week and that was a stretch for me. You know, so I did not have any money and I just in the end, at the end of the day was like, oh, this could actually manifest into a bigger cancer if I don't deal with it. So in some ways I was forced in and I'm so grateful because being forced to really get like significant help changed my life. But if you're in a spot that I was in, which I can totally respect and relate to, I think the first thing, the first thing that's like kind of almost easy to say and hard to do is to start listening to your body, to start noticing like when I'm walking through the world, when do I have a sense of safety? When, when and where do I feel really comfortable and really good in my skin? And when and where do I get more triggered? Like what are the things that trigger me on a physiological level? And what are the things that soothe me? And in our culture, we're so yang. We're so masculine, like go toward the goal, accomplish the goal, or go toward the problem, fix the problem. And we're so less expansive and containing and allowing. And so one of the first things that I always tell people is figure out what your resources are. What are your resources for stability, health, and safety? Like, if you were only going to do one thing, the more you feel safe and somewhat stable and somewhat held, the more the emergencies of the past feel safe to come up and out of your system. And they can come up and out in a number of ways. But if there isn't enough, if there isn't a strong enough container online, they won't come up and out they will take you out with them. So I would say that's the first like very basic thing is asking yourself, what are the things that make me feel safer, more stable, more grounded? And can I, am I willing to commit to them? And this isn't mm. just like privileged self-care. It's like actually the things that create a sense of stability in my body, if I commit to them, the grief that needs to come out, the shame that needs to come out, the anger that needs to come out, the, the feeling that I am free to run and free to say no anytime I want that needs to come out will feel safe enough to come out. Yeah. I was actually hoping that you were going to say start with the body first. Start with checking in with your body, with establishing a relationship to the sensations that come up in your body because I think that that was one of the first things that helped me uncover my own trauma and um, heal that trauma by actually saying aloud, I am being triggered or sex is a trigger for me. And speaking of sex being a trigger, I kind of want to hear your perspective on on that. Like, you know, there's a lot of women out there, myself included, who can have sex without feeling triggered because of the violations that have taken place for them in the past. And I wish that when I was really, really struggling with, with trauma, with trying to figure out what the hell is wrong with me, I would have had you in my life at this time because <laughs> it would have been so much easier um, for me to understand and to handle. But back then, you know, when I was having sex with my partner, 
And after being in a very violating um, sexual relationship with an ex, every time I had sex, I would have panic attacks. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea why. Um, I mean, I, d- I had a sense why. I mean, I knew what the cause was, but I didn't understand what was going on in my body. And I also didn't understand how to move myself through those emotions, um, you know, because when anxiety is flaring up and you're feeling shame and then you're feeling guilt because you're having this total meltdown out of nowhere. I mean, it just gets so clusterfucked. <laughs> yes, completely. So I, yeah, I just, I wanted to know, like, what advice would you give to someone who, who does get triggered by mm-hmm. sex and, and, and how can they move through those feelings, those anxiety feelings, the fear feelings, the, the fight or flight feelings um, in a way that is healthy for them and their healing? I love the word clusterfuck. It's just totally appropriate. <laughs> it completely fits. You know? Yes, yes. It's like all of the things jumble together in the moment and you're and things are moving so fast and you're like, oh, what's happening? And oh my God, I feel so stupid because like I'm, I know I'm attracted to my partner and I know I want them and I know that they want me and like, why am I still in this spot? Uh. Yep. And then I can't even get out of the spot. And so even when I just do that just right now, I can feel in my throat and it's like all of my energy is up. Yeah. So this is something that anybody can do, um, whether you're partnered or not, you know, like whether it's with a partner or even by yourself, because sometimes people who have histories of violation, especially if those histories of violation started at a younger age, can have aversions to pleasure in general. And so that could mean like aversions to masturbation, basically. So what's happening when you're getting triggered is that your system is set, is perceiving danger and threat and everything goes in and up. Like we had said before in up fast, that's the physiology of, of danger. And if you know that you're not actually in danger, the things that you want to try to on purpose do are down out and slow. And so, of course, nobody wants to hear, like, well, slow down. Well, I would slow down if I could. Thank you very much. Fuck you. You know, like, (laughs) so it takes some practice. um, And it's not something that will necessarily happen overnight, which is why doing something like having a regular slowing practice of any kind, whether it's walking slowly through your neighborhood or meditating or just moving kind of centrally and slowly for five minutes with a song like anything where you're bringing a lot of awareness to your physical sensations and a lot of presence and slow presence into the moment is a good foundational practice. But then when you're actually in the moment with somebody and you get triggered or you're in the moment with yourself and you get triggered, particularly if someone else is there, you can ask them to first of all, just put the palm of their hand on a part of your body that feels safe. So the palm of their hand could go onto your thigh, for example, and you can have them, you can tell them, can you just focus on the palm of your hand, like connecting with the bone of my leg? Now don't push too hard, but just, and you can tell them how hard you want them to push, just feel for what feels stabilizing. So on purpose, you're choosing stability. You're choosing somebody to be regulated with this other person in a slow and stabilizing way. So, or if you're with yourself, you can do that with yourself. You can put your own hand on your leg and just 
when you have that point of contact that might be stabilizing, if it's not stabilizing, look for some other point of contact. Maybe it's just a small hand on the shoulder, like a light hand on your shoulder. Or maybe it's no touch, but just present stillness with one another. Whatever it is that actually creates a physiological feeling of like, oh, I can breathe a little bit lighter. Allowing then to just notice what's happening in your body. So you're going to be playing this game of continuously noticing what's happening in your body until your body feels like, oh, I'm actually safe right now. And this process can be kind of amorphous. It can be strange. You can go to weird places. So for example, actually, I wrote a post about this, about being triggered sexually and the exact process I walked through that I would be happy to share with you and you can share it with your people. Oh, absolutely. I'll put it in the show notes for people to um, for people to check out. Yeah, because I was in the car with the woman I was dating and I was totally triggered. And so I said to her, can you just put your, your hand on my leg and just like hold it there and be stable? And I just quietly whispered all the different things that were happening in my body. Like there's a heat that's rising in my chest and there's a part of me that wants to yell at you and there's a part... And meanwhile, you have to tell your partner, I need to just say what's happening in my body without you taking any of it personally. If you can hold the the space and the awareness that given enough time and given like enough love, my system will feel safe. That would be amazing. Hmm. So you tell them just like, hold this space for me if you could, you know, and then Mm -hmm. you just say all the things like, and so for me, part of what I was seeing was this like emergency train in my head going by. And so I allowed myself to imagine that I got on the emergency train or that the scared part of me got on the emergency train and the emergency train kept going and I stayed there. You also want to notice like in any moment, what feels stable? What feels safe? Because we're so oriented toward danger. And if we only focus on the danger we're experiencing, The danger is the wave that takes us under. But if we also focus on the shore that's below the waves, that is not dangerous, but that is mostly stable, if we can be both things, then the wave can happen on the shore without the shore somehow becoming the wave. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So basically to summarize, two things. One, When you're getting triggered, if you have an anxiety attack, this works too. I've had plenty of anxiety attacks. Do everything you can to, one, name the sensations. And sensations can be anything like speed, temperature, like sensed color, like the color that you perceive. We can also, you can name any visuals or any phrases that keep coming up for you. Any constriction and any expansion. So name all of your felt sense experiences And then on purpose, look for where you feel neutral, stable, or safe, and name those things. That's so important. I can't even say it enough, because when we get triggered, we go automatically to danger. Right. But if when your energy is going inward and upward, you can also focus on what is actually wide and and low. Where am I feeling gravity right now? What feels neutral? Neutral is good enough. You don't have to feel great anywhere. But what feels neutral? And just noticing that, boom, puts you back into a different space. So, so what I'm hearing is rather than being all up in your head, which is where things tend to go when you're having um, 
an anxiety attack, when you're feeling triggered, when your trauma is flaring up, bringing the awareness and the sensations into your body as best as you can and have someone physically touch you or you physically touch yourself in a way that brings you back into connection with with your body. And for the touch on purpose, like you can instruct the touch. And if you're in a place where you're too triggered to be able to do that, like just bark it out, lighter, harder, whatever it is, you know, like demand the touch that actually creates a feeling of relief. And if you can't get that from someone else, don't. But maybe it's for you to like even like lean all the way back into a seat or lay in a position, like lay in the fetal position and say, and like put all of the covers on top of you. And if that's the position that brings relief. So it doesn't have to be someone else's touch, but allow yourself to look for either touch or a position that creates a physiological sensation of relief. You know, another question that's coming up for me about this, um, especially when we're talking about, you know, having sex with someone and you get triggered. One thing that kept happening to me and my husband over and over was I would have these really strong sensations. I would have these panic attacks and I would feel severely triggered and traumaed and I didn't know what to do with them. I wondered if you could talk about the things, the language that we can use with our partners to say, I am not okay right now, or maybe even language to describe either what's happening to us in a way that they can understand. Because back in the day when I was trying to explain this to my husband, he was just like, uh, what? So it was very difficult for him to understand what was happening with me and why these emotions were so strong. And so I wondered if you could give some insider perspective on how we can have conversations with our significant others who are witnessing this trauma. Maybe things, certain things that our partners can say to us or, or certain things we can ask of our partners um, to help us through what we're going through. I love that question. It's so good. First thing that comes to mind is in some ways I wish like we could have, maybe I need to make one, like a two minute video that just explains the physiology. Because I think a and I don't want to generalize, but I will just generalize. Like if, if your partner is more scientifically minded, understanding the science, like, oh, there's an emergency response that hasn't finished. And, you know, and I'm working on actually renegotiating boundaries and being able to say when things are not okay. Like that is essential for me to, for my recovery. That's a, an essential practice for me to be able to not get triggered. It's a boundary repair to be able to say yes and no. And so because my yes got violated, I have to practice saying no a lot. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm never going to want to have sex. But the more that you respond compassionately to my no, the more my whole system is going to feel safe with you. And then in terms of things that they can say to you and things that you can say to them, the biggest thing, here's, here's what I want to say is that the violation that you experienced in the past happened in the past. And so when you're in emergency, when there is no actual emergency happening, right? When you're triggered, even though there's no real emergency, you're, at, you're going into the past. Your energy is going into the past or into the fear of what might happen in the future. And so the number one thing that you can do is come into the present. 
And so something that your partner can ask you and something you can be asking yourself, this is the question that you and your partner both want to be asking yourself over and over and over again if you're getting triggered when you want to have sex, which is, what are you noticing in your body just right now? What are you noticing in terms of your sensations just right now? You could ask that question. They could ask you that question 12 times over 12 minutes. And after 12 minutes of having 12 little one-minute waves, you will have a different answer at the end. Because your body processes emotions and energy in waves that last from 8 seconds to 8 minutes. So you might actually need to go through an eight-minute wave. And if you can bring your awareness into the wave, here's what's really cool about all of this. When you get good at bringing your awareness into your physiological sensations because you have to, because you have trauma that you're trying to deal with, when your trauma resolves, holy fuck, all those resources that you just learned, all those skills, you get to apply to orgasmic things. Mm. And your sex life becomes amazing because you are so physiologically aware and so is your partner. So that's the good news. That's the light at the end of the tunnel is you're actually training yourselves to have total trust with each other. Because if your partner is always bringing you right back into this moment and never pressuring you to go anywhere but right here, and you make it a vow to yourself that I will not override my body, I will listen and find out what's happening for it right here and right now, the combination of those things always leads to ecstasy eventually. Yeah. I'm so glad that you talked about the light at the end of the tunnel because, I mean, when when we're in the trauma spell, as you say in your book, it can feel like that's all there is, just this darkness, just this clusterfuck of emotions and anger and guilt and frustration and and confusion. And so the idea of there being a light at the end of the tunnel, it that just sounds so awesome. <laughs> it just sounds so good. And especially like half, after having such a kind of heavy conversation about about trauma. Totally. And you know, that's why also like, to just circle back to this idea of like, do it yourself healing kind of thing. I think that that's one of the reasons, because I'm of that same ethos. Like, I don't want my clients to need to come to me forever. Like, I want them to be able to have transformations that empower them. And that is what's so cool about this work, is that once you learn the skills, it's very empowering. It, it becomes something that you can apply anywhere in your life, where now you're, the intelligence of your whole body, right? Your heart has a brain, your guts have a brain, your vagina has a brain, like the number of nerves and neurons in your vagina is exponential, like so big. And so once you start to be able to read your body and once you make the vow to never override your body, you become into alchemical alignment and your whole life starts aligning in like really powerful, pleasurable ways. You know, we are wired for pleasure. We are wired for ecstasy and for love and for joy and for creation and for all of this great, beautiful stuff. And it starts with that vow. I'm, I'm going to be present to my body now, starting now, and I'm not going to override it. That's the promise I'm always working toward. And the more you work toward that, your whole life comes into an amazing alignment. And it's super exciting. Like, I, I think people who who resolve trauma become some of the most powerful, sensual, happy humans on earth. 
Yes. And I've seen it. I've seen that happen. And I know you've seen it um, with the work that you've done as well. Completely. Completely. I could talk to you about this for hours. <laughs> there is so many things. I mean, so many layers to this. And you are just a wellspring of knowledge on this topic. And I just want to say thank you for coming on and dropping mad knowledge bombs on all of us today. Like I learned so much about trauma, about my own body, and I hope that other people have too. And thank you so much for sharing with us. Oh, you're such a delight. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Tell, tell the people where they can find you, where they can find your book, how they can maybe work with you if they want to resolve their trauma. Totally. Um, my website's rachelmaddox.com. I've got an extra A in Rachel. My book is called Secret Bad Girl. The ebook is on Amazon. The print book, you can buy that exclusively on my website for the next year before it's in bookstores all over the U.S. So good. Thank you so much, Rachel, for coming on. Thank you so much. That was Rachel Maddox. Her book, Secret Bad Girl, is available on Amazon. And actually, I'd like to share a snippet of it, which I think would be the perfect way to close today's episode. At that moment, I looked up and saw those girls splashing in the river. I knew it was time to write a book for Heather and for all the secret bad girls who are still sitting in the shadows of their shame. A book as if to say, what if there's a different way? What if it wasn't your fault? What if it doesn't have to be so difficult? What if you're one of billions? What if you've been spiraling under a spell that's possible to break? What if what it takes won't actually re-traumatize you because people have gone before you, spent decades of their life flailing and fumbling, only to finally find their way above water with a message loud and fearless, you can do this. You can rewire your cellular history. You can rewrite your fraught psychology. You can loosen your grip on rage after you've let it ripple safely through your caged up flesh and then, then you can dance the freedom in. You can have your impossible dreams. You can begin a whole new book. I pictured those girls growing up in a world ravishing and on fire with their desire with nothing wrong, nothing to an arm, places to play and ways to stay safe as they learned how to make magic from their holy, innocent, powerful, lusting love. Maybe they're good. Maybe they're bad. Maybe they're all of it. And there's nothing wrong with any of it. Thank you for listening to the Sexually Liberated Woman podcast. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, share it with a friend or leave a five-star review on iTunes. Leaving reviews helps others find the podcast, but also helps others find sexual liberation, which is a win-win, I think. As for me, Evian, you can find me on my blog, sexloveliberation.com, where I write essays about sex, sensuality, and erotic power. I'm also on Instagram at evian.whitney, that's E-V-Y-A-N period W-H-I-T-N-E-Y, where I'm capturing moments of brazen femininity and sexuality throughout the day. And if you want to be a sexually liberated woman, go to sexloveliberation.com slash S-L-W 
and maybe I'll be chatting with you about your journey of erotic empowerment someday. See you in the next episode.